0: Walker, again, it's good to uh, to be here, and I'm thankful for this opportunity again. And I have to say, you guys have a, a beautiful facility here. Uh, you live in a beautiful valley, and uh, truly, truly, uh, um, you're blessed to be where you are. You know, and we're blessed to live in the state of Montana, and you guys got a little special spot here in the state. So, it's uh, it's a beautiful place. All right, this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 10. If you have your handout, you'll see that. And before we uh, before we get started, I want to just open in a word of prayer. Again, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, again, thank you for just being our God. Thank you for uh, allowing us to live in this beautiful state of Montana. Thank you for your creation. And uh, we get to see it each and every day, we get to see uh, the beauty of your creation and uh, truly are a blessed people here in the state of Montana. Father, uh, we're so blessed too, just for those of us that know your son is our Lord and Savior, knowing that we have a home in heaven and uh, that there's even, as it may be hard for us to comprehend a more beautiful place for us to be one day when you make the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, I can't imagine uh, how, how much more beautiful it can be. Thank you, God, for being our God. Thank you for your truth, for your word, Thank you for your son shed blood on the cross of Calvary. Uh, thank you for just the gift of life. Uh, we love you and praise you now. Pray that you will be honored and glorified through all that's said and done this evening. Again, fill me with your spirit. Use me mightily to deliver your message, Father. This is your word. May it go forth and uh, help me not to, uh, to try to get in the way, Father. Just let your word go forth. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Galatians. Chapter 1, starting in verse 6, the Bible says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. The world we live in today is a very, very busy world. We all have... I'm sure every one of us have a lot of things that we need to do. Um, I know a pastor and his family have a lot to do with where God is guiding them and directing them. And a lot to do here, and you're going to have a ton of stuff waiting for them when they get there. Uh, But each and every one of us can look at our life and say, man, how did it get so busy? Uh, We are are, our summer. uh, Think about it. This summer is over half gone already. In Montana, we, we have short summers as it is, and yet when, we, when it gets here, we look forward to it. We look forward to the things that we get to enjoy, hunting, fishing, camping, uh, the, being in the outdoors. That's what we love, and we look forward to these things because we have a limited amount of time for them, and yet the summer is already over half over, and I personally have not gone fishing. I've not gone camping with my family yet. I have not, uh, I've not been able to go hiking. I've not, I enjoy golfing once in a while. I've not even been able to go golfing with my son at all this year. Everything, we, we, we got out one time and did some kayaking with, the, with our girls while they were home for a wedding. And so it's just, before you know it, I mean, I, in, at the end of June, I was performing my first wedding. So of course, I was building up and preparing for that. And after June was over, uh, June ended, and, and we went into the 4th of July, and and there was just so much going on, and pa- my pastor is trying to take what a sabbatical as I was trying to help him to enjoy some time away and, and fill the pulpit for him, but he has a hard time. After 37 years of being a pastor, it's really hard to get him to uh, to separate himself just a little while, you know, to go take a break. He's always got something to do, but... I, I stepped in to fill pulpit for him, and uh, we just recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were in Pinedale, Wyoming, and I was down there for the whole week with our with our teens at, at uh, Red Bible Camp, and I spent the week with them. I came back that Sunday, and and I had to preach at our church at Friendship, and then Monday morning I had to be right down at the church again because we started VBS, and VBS went through Wednesday. We had a Wednesday evening barbecue, and and I had the opportunity to preach the gospel to some uh, unsaved families that were, were visiting uh, that, that brought their kids to VBS. So, and, and then that ended, and here I am now, you know, in preparing for this. And in, on the 1st of August, I'm preaching to preach. I mean, it's just, there's all kinds of things that we can fill our time up with. And I have to tell you, I'm thankful for reminders. I'm thankful for reminders. Because um, if it wasn't for this planner, uh, a lot of what was going on, <laughs> you know, uh, I joked, I, I joked with my niece, who is who I performed the wedding, I said, oh, it's a good thing I had my planner, because I saw that you had a wedding today, and I was going to go golfing, so um, she kind of gave me uh, the evil eye, but I said, just kidding, I, I wouldn't have missed this for the world, so, but ultimately, it, it is, it's, it's, it's I, I remember Pastor Class telling me, he, he left, uh, he, he'd, he did get away for a little while, and He went, uh, I can't remember where he went now, but I just know that he left his planner at at a church that he was visiting. And he was visiting with some of these pastors, trying to be a blessing to some pastors around the state. and and, And he shared that and he said, look, I left my brain at that other church. Because everything that he needed to do was in that planner and he's the one that got me hooked on this. But it's loaded with reminders. It's, it's got my dental appointments. It's got my medical appointments. It's got my preaching schedule. Uh, I put in here uh, our church members' birthdays and, and anniversaries so that I'm reminded to send them a message, just to send a quick text to let them know I'm thinking about them, wishing them a happy birthday, and and that uh, you know that I try to keep myself aware of what our church is up to and what what our church family is doing. So I'm thankful for reminders. Where would we be without reminders? And that's what we're going to look, be looking at this evening. Reminders for the faith. That's what I've titled this, this evening's message. Reminders for the faith. The reminders in these verses are a parallel to a warning that Paul also gave to the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. Where it says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth Take heed lest he fall. This is a warning to Christians. The Corinthians were becoming quite confident in themselves. And Paul was warning them to take heed. Uh, The Greek word blepo is used, uh, which means to be careful or beware. Is that me popping? Hitting something? Loosen this up. So um, it means to uh, beware, to be careful, right? It is a warning. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's try it down a little further. So it's a warning to believers not to be too sure of ourselves. And, and and it's kind of parallel to what the Galatians are going through. What we just read is that these Galatian Christians who once settled who were once settled in the gospel of grace that Paul had taught them, and now he's moved on, and he shortly finds out that now they're floundering in their understanding of the gospel of grace, of the truth of God's word, that he had been training them. So my proposition to you this evening is, are you settled in the gospel of grace? Are you putting your faith in God or in man? This evening I want to show you three important reminders from our text that will help each of us to remain faithful to the one true gospel. And that first reminder is the removal from the faith. The removal from the faith. We see this in verse 6. In verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Uh, he uses the word, I marvel. The Greek word for marvel is thaumatso. And essentially means to be amazed. Okay? To be amazed. Or he's surprised. It's, the verb is in the present tense. Indicating that Paul may have just heard about this issue. Again, he, it's not long after he's departed from Galatia and, and the, the Galatian church and he hears that they're struggling uh, in their faith. He is amazed at the sudden change in direction. They have a sudden change in direction. He's not angry. I want you to understand, he's not angry right now, but he's shocked that they could so, be so easily swayed to believe another gospel. Unfortunately, This is a common problem in our world today. Many, many Christians are being swayed away from the faith. Many because uh, their faith is is maybe a surface faith. It's, it's, uh, you know, people who have a strong, deep faith aren't going to be so easily swayed. But we have a lot of people today who are turning away from the gospel, from the true gospel to another gospel. They're turning away from the truth of God's word. But I also want you to see the suddenness of the remo- removal. There's also a suddenness of the removal. Now I want you to see that the Galatian church had changed their allegiance from Christ to another gospel. But this didn't mean they had lost their salvation. Those who genuinely trusted in Christ, once you're saved, you're saved. But they're being pulled away to believe this other gospel. Uh, these Judaizers who had come into the church really that's what's going on here these Judaizers had come in and they were, they were teaching another gospel they were telling them that they needed to be circumcised they needed to obey the law as well as follow Jesus Christ and so, um, so they, were, they were believing this and that didn't mean they lost their themselves but following a false gospel they would lose out on fellowship with God when, when you start to, to trust in other things, if you're looking to baptism to save you, um, or you're looking to other things, and you start to believe another gospel, you're, God, there's going to be no fellowship. God, It's like you need to get right. You need to to figure out what's going on here. And so I want you to see that in this suddenness of removal, the suddenness, begi- it, it, it's from Him. It's a sudden removal from God. See, God had called the Galatians by His grace. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I want you to remember this verse. Some of you may have it memorized, and that's great. And if you don't, I would recommend you memorize this verse. This is a key verse in this message tonight, and it's going to be referenced many times. But Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and I'm not going to be referencing it, but we're going to see verses that essentially say the same thing as 2, 8, and 9 here. For by grace are you saved through faith. The grace comes from God. The faith is from us. We have to have put our faith in. In what God has done for us. So we understand that grace. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. There's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to be saved. Nothing. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is a gift. How does a gift work? At Christmas. every Kids love Christmas right? They look forward to getting those gifts and unwrapping those gifts. But. If we as parents came in and told our kids, whoa, 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 you don't, you're not, you're not, you don't get that gift until you take out the garbage and you make your bed, and that, well, that's not a gift now, right? Now they're having to work for it. Uh, when we have a gift, we give a gift, we just give it to somebody. This is a gift. All you have to do is reach out and take it. And that's what God does for us with the gift of salvation. If we just put our faith and trust in Jesus and it finished work at the cross of Calvary, we can be saved. It's not of works lest any man should boast. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Paul had taught them the truth, but the problem is they were swayed into believing this. Now, I want you to understand, I use Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and yet the book of Ephesians uh, was written after the the Galatian uh, letter. So at this point, but I want you to understand, I guarantee... Whether this was written or not at the time that this was happening, and he wrote, he had to write this letter to the Galatians to tell them, we know that this book wasn't written yet; Uh, he hadn't written this letter, but he was teaching this in every church he ever went to. Paul taught uh, this very passage, okay? But I want you to see—it's a so it's a turn from him, a sudden turn from him to another gospel. To another gospel. This gospel was a false gospel, not based on the grace of God. As I said, Judaizers had come along and told these newly converted Jews that they still needed to be circumcised and remain faithful to the law, as well as accept Jesus as their Savior. This is mingling grace, is a mingling of grace and the law. We don't mingle grace with law. These Judaizers were good at mixing scripture with their false beliefs. They often took the text out of context. And this is a common issue we see in the world today. I demonstrated that in our service this morning. How we can take something out of context and we could teach. I could have taught. Uh, I could teach that to an unbeliever. that Look, it's good for you to focus on other things. right? Other people's things. It's okay to, to, to not worry about what you have and focus on other people's things. But that shows covetousness. We don't, we don't covet what other people have. And, and therefore, the, but, but you can teach people if, they don't, if they're not well grounded. If they don't have a firm foundation. And that's what was happening. The, these Galatians were taught the truth, but they weren't f- clearly firmly grounded in it yet. And therefore, they were swayed to believe another gospel. I also want you to see that this passage is in the middle voice, which shows that Paul is placing the blame On the converts, not the false teachers. He's putting the blame on the converts. Well, well, why is he doing that, Brother Jim? Why would he blame? Why wouldn't he be mad at the false teachers? I guarantee you Paul is mad at the false teachers and he preaches on it, okay? Uh, he's, He's not happy with what these Judaizers are doing. But in this context, in this point of the letter, he's pointing out that he's disappointed in the converts because they should know better. As believers, putting your, if you're putting your faith in Jesus, and Jesus alone, you can't let somebody come in and start teaching you something else and go, oh, oh, that sounds good. I like how that sounds, that tickling of the ears. Oh, that makes sense to me. Well, it might make sense to, to us. There's a lot of things in the Bible that don't make sense. We talked about that this morning in our Sunday school lesson. Well, how, does, how is the blood able to cleanse us from our sins? Uh, think about it, when we get, if, you get, if I got blood all over this white shirt, uh, it would be stained. But the Bible teaches that blood washes us white as snow. Jesus' blood washes us white as snow. Well, how is that possible? I don't know, but by faith I believe it. Jesus' blood is precious. It's pure. It is, so it, it, it is able to make me white as snow. And we need to, be, we need to stay firm in our faith. They should have known better, and it's a huge reminder for us as believers. We need to be reminded to understand that we know better. We know the Scriptures. Uh, It's important that we get into the Scriptures, we study the Scriptures, and make sure we understand it. You need to be under the whole counsel of God. That is a key statement. You need to be under the whole counsel of God. Uh, We cannot be cafeteria Christians. Do not go through this book, find the things you like, and say we need to follow that and the things we don't like we just kind of ignore. Uh, there is. There's things in here that people, I I. I know a, fa- a family that was firmly grounded. This family was, uh, they were good believers. They were good church people. Hardcore against homosexuality. Until one of their children came out as a homosexual. And then all of a sudden it was well, uh, I believe God loves them and, 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 and is okay with their decision. You know better. You know the scriptures. You know that that is an abomination. And it's not just homosexuality. Any uh, sexual perversion outside of marriage, heterosexual sex activity outside of marriage is an abomination in God's eyes. And we need to be reminded, we need to, we need to be, you know, I, I sometimes get upset with pastors who, who will rail on homosexuality when they have known fornicators sitting in their church and won't say anything about fornication. It's all impure and it's all disappointing to God and it's all sin. But we need to be under the whole counsel of God. Just because we don't like what we read, we understand that it's God's word and we need to be obedient to it. You need to be studying God's word, not just hearing it. You need to make sure that you know what God's word says rather than just taking someone else's word for it. One of the classes I took at West Coast Baptist College was a class on how to learn how to study the Bible. Essentially, it was uh, Brother He He taught this class. On how to properly study the Bible, they dealt into hermeneutics and and uh, dispensationalism and how to uh, to study to show thyself approved, you know, rightly dividing the Word of God. It's just getting into it, and I love how brother Hout began the class. As he as he was beginning to start his lecture, he went over to his desk and he pulled a piece of candy out of a little bag. And it was one of those little chocolates, and he unwrapped it. He's talking this whole time, and all of a sudden, he pops it into his mouth and starts chewing on this chocolate. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, well, I'm sorry, how rude of me. I'm up here eating chocolate, and I didn't even offer anyone in the class some chocolate. Is there anyone here who would like some chocolate? And, of course, hands go up all over the classroom, you know, all these kids, they want, I'll take some chocolate. And... Brother Hauk walks back over to his desk, but instead of grabbing chocolate, he grabs a plastic spoon. He walks back to the front of the class up to one of the students that has his hands up, and he begins to spit the chocolate into the spoon. And, of course, that young man sitting there, his hand slowly goes down, and he's like, "Uh, that's all right, Brother Hauk, I'm okay, I don't need any chocolate right now. (coughs) And uh, then Brother Hauk proceeds to say, what's the problem? You won't take chocolate directly out of my mouth, but you'll take the word of God directly from my mouth and apply it to your life without ever checking the scriptures to verify what I'm telling you is true. He then handed a plastic spoon to each and every one of us in the class, of which he wanted us to keep as a reminder, and I kept that on my desk at home, in my home for the entire first year of college, as a reminder to get into the word of God And study it. And to verify. We are to do as the Bereans do. We see in Acts 17 verses 10 and 11. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. Who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind. That's what we're all doing right now. You're all here receiving the word with all readiness of mind. But the Bereans took it a step farther. And they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Are you searching the scriptures daily to verify that what's being taught from this pulpit, from messages that you listen to online, wherever you hear preaching, from friends who are teaching you things from the Bible, maybe a Bible study? (coughs) Excuse me. Are you verifying what's being taught is truth? The Bereans come back and tell Paul, yes. Yes we see that what you're teaching us is true. So we can see the first reminder deals with the removal from the faith. Let us not be so easily removed from our faith. Now let's look at our uh, our next reminder, which is the recommendation concerning faith. The recommendation concerning faith. This really begins with the end of verse 6 through verse (coughs) 9. And it says there, uh, basically he's saying, he's saying, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that has called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. The focus on another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that, ye have received, let him be accursed. So within the recommendation concerning the faith, the first thing we see is there are perverted Gospels. Verse 7 points out there are perverted Gospels, which is not another Gospel, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the Gospel of Christ. This is another Gospel. and, and, and that, that, That's the statement he uses, but I want you to see this is not another Gospel. is not another true Gospel, for there is only one Gospel. Paul had preached the true gospel to the Galatians. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the good news. Uh, We don't, we don't, uh, we're thankful that Jesus, somebody had to die, blood had to be shed. But thankfully, we serve a living God. That's why we have an empty cross that we see on the wall. It's an empty cross because our God is alive and well and seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's what the true gospel is. We see it as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But someone had come along to declare another gospel, a perversion of the true gospel. The Mormon religion today calls their doctrine, they literally refer to their doctrine as another gospel. Scripture is clear that there can be no other gospel than that which is found in the New Testament by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So these false teachers who came to the Galatians were called Judaizers because they attempted to add Jewish ceremonial requirements to the gospel. We call this legalism today. Legalism is any attempt to mix the law and grace. Listen to that again. Legalism is any attempt to mix the law and grace. I'm just going to step out for a second and point out that there are a lot of churches today, uh, primarily Baptist churches, I've heard this from people all the time. I can't go to your church. It's too legalistic. It's too legalistic. What do you mean Roy, it's legalistic? Your pastor requires people that if they want to be in leadership, they have to, men have to wear a jacket and a tie, and ladies need to be in a skirt. That's legalism. No, it isn't. It's called a standard. There's a big difference between legalism and a standard. And, uh, and I'm telling you, I just, uh, oh, your, your church only allows uh, the King James to be used. Well, we, we preach from the King James, yes. We use the King James Bible as, that's our version. Uh, that's not legalism. That's a standard by which we choose to stand by. We believe it is the word of God. And therefore, we choose to stay faithful to it. That's not legalism. It's a standard. You know, what frustrates me is um, a number of these people that I hear this from are are people who uh, are, they they have jobs. I I heard it from guys in the military. I heard it from people who are cops, Uh, kids who work at McDonald's. There are people out there who probably believe it that are firemen, nurses, uh, whatever they might be. And I think to myself, Wow. So if a pastor puts a standard on you, he's legalistic. But when the United States government says you will wear a specific uniform, and if you're, out, if you're not doing what you're supposed to, you know, in the Air Force, uh, you have to carry your hat pretty much everywhere you go. And When I'm in the building and I'm, I'm working in the office, I don't have to. But the minute I know I'm going outside the building, I have to take my hat with me. Because when you walk out the door, the hat goes on. And when you walk in the next building, the hat comes off. Well, that's a stupid rule. If I walk into a building with my hat on, I'm considered out of uniform. I'm abusing the uniform. Okay? It's a standard that the military put on me. I agreed to that standard when I signed the contract. Um, a lot of the kids complained at, at West Coast Baptist College. Man, they have too many rules. Why are you complaining? You signed. You, you read the rule book the student handbook with all the rules in it, and you signed it saying you agreed to it. Why are you complaining? If You didn't agree to it, don't sign it, go home. It, it, the minute, it, kids that work at McDonald's have to wear what McDonald's tells them to wear. Nurses wear what they have to wear in the hospital. They have to put masks on today to work in the hospital. They have to wear their masks everywhere they go. It didn't used to be that way, but these nurses do it. But the minute you walk into a church... And uh, they're a part of a church, and they want to teach a class, and the pastor says, well, I'd like you to wear a skirt and, and look nice. Well, that's legalistic. No, it's not. It's a standard. And leaders should set the example for the rest of the church. That's just my rant on legalism. As I want us to understand, uh, as I, it, it, it's like the nation today. Racism has become the buzzword and in churches legalism is the buzzword and it's especially used to attack uh churches like this who just want to set some standards. Right? and and the thing that I think of uh is is Christian schools have standards of dress. And 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 as you see what public schools who removed all standards of dress when I went to school we you know there were certain you weren't you weren't allowed to wear uh cuss words on your shirts. They told you that. They didn't want you wearing, you know, beer, you know, things, advertising beer or cigarettes. And today, they wear whatever they want in public schools. Uh, They wear, some of these kids aren't even barely wearing any clothes, okay? When you don't have standards, people do what they want to do. Kids are going to do, and man, the judges points it out specifically. We do that which is right in our own eyes, if we don't have a biblical standard for morals, we're going to do whatever we want. And who, who establishes the, what's right and what's wrong? So, um, so legalism is when we mix law with grace. When we add baptism to salvation, that's legalism. Because you're throwing something uh, into, mixing something in to salvation, a uh, uh, works. Uh, or, Or in this case, legalism is adding the law, that you need to be circumcised to be saved and follow Jesus. So these Judaizers were dangerous because they called their message a gospel. Their gospel taught that to gain entrance into heaven, people must fulfill the law. And strictly fulfilling the law nullifies the teaching of grace. In fact, Paul explains later in his same book that there is but one purpose for the law, to help people see their need for Christ's grace. Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. That's what the law existed for. It was to show us that we couldn't do it. Or it showed the nation of Israel, you can't do everything. And, and I'll, I'll, just so you know, uh, understand, again, salvation is the same in the Old Testament as the New. If, if anyone would have been able to keep the entire law flawlessly which was totally impossible, it still wouldn't have been salvation if they weren't faithfully believing in a coming Messiah. Salvation is by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 applies to the Old Testament just as much as it does to us today. There is no new revelation. Okay, I want you to understand. These guys were saying, look, we have this new gospel or uh, another gospel, and we must understand as Baptists we do not believe in or we do believe in a closed revelation. There is no new revelation. There is nothing new under the sun. We do not believe in new revelation nor in sign gifts. Why is that? I'm going to tell you right now. New revelation is just an excuse for man to cover up his errors. As we, as we think back to the Mormons and their, their uh, another gospel, their doctrines being another gospel, uh, they claim that they received new revelation. Joseph Smith received these golden tablets, uh, which do not, cannot be found or cannot be uh, established, but uh, under, understand that he received new revelation from this um, angel named Moroni. It's all new revelation. Do you realize that in the Mormon religion, prior to 1970, black people were considered fallen angels and could not be in the Mormon church. And in the 1970s, as they were being railed on for racism by not allowing black people into their church, they received new revelation. That the black people were not fallen angels. So that's what new revelation accomplishes. Why do we believe that there is no new revelation nor sign gifts when well, we go to the scriptures? 1 Corinthians thirteen ten says, "But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away." Now there's a lot of people who look at this verse and they say, "But that which is perfect, Jesus is come." then that which is in part your sign gifts and your new revelation or your prophecies will go away. And they'll tell you, see, if you look at that, Jesus hasn't come again yet. Therefore, we are okay still doing our sign gifts. It's okay to speak in tongues. It's okay to lay hands on for healing. That that's still, uh, that these gifts are still available through the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I don't believe that this is referring to Jesus Christ, and the reason I don't believe it is for one word that exists in that passage, the word that. We don't use the word that to describe a specific person. Now that person might be, uh, we say that person, we are not that person that did it, or we don't, might not be describing a, a specific person. I believe that if this was talking about Jesus Christ, it would say, but when he, which is perfect, is come. Uh, when He who is perfect is come. That would make me think, no, that's Jesus. He's the only one that is perfect. But when that, when that book, which is perfect, the Holy Scriptures, is come, then that which is in part sign gifts and prophecies will no longer be needed. And the sign gifts go away. God's given us everything we need to know and understand and to prepare for Jesus' second coming. He's given us everything we need to know about getting saved. He's given us everything we need to know about having a relationship with Him. And we're not going to receive uh, the gift of tongues. In, 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 because we don't need sign gifts. The Bible is uh, complete. Psalms uh, one uh, eighteen verse 89, or 119, excuse me, 89, says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's complete. We have the completed word of God. And I love Revelation 22, 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of, the, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. <coughs> the reason I am a King James user is because there is no other Bible that demonstrates the uh, preservation greater than the King James Bible. It's been around for over 400 years. It's been around for over 400 years, and then man comes along and says, we need to make it easier to read. We need to make it easier to read. So they create the NIV, and they create all these other versions of the Bible. And the NIV reads at like a ninth grade level, yet the King James reads at a 6th grade level. How did that get easier? But the reason I'm a King James Bible man is because nothing is being added to or taken away from this book, yet all the new versions have Scripture missing from them, have things added to Scripture. Because we wanted to paraphrase what that said. We want to tell you what we think this says. I don't care what you think it says. I want to know what God says it says. And that's why we are to study and to dig. Instead of trying to take the easy way out and make the Bible easier to read, why don't we just, you know, pull up, as God would tell us, gird up your loins there and, and be a man. And get in there and study it and understand it. There are a lot of versions of the Bible that change words or, like I said, is missing Scripture. And of course, I like to use the King James. Yet there are, you know, all these new versions come out, and then all of a sudden there's a tax on the King James Bible. After these new versions come out, um, people start writing books of of why you should stay away from the King James, and the King James was perverted by uh, by the men that King James was an evil man. King James didn't uh, do the translation from uh, from the Greek and Hebrew to to English. Men were chosen. Godly men were chosen to do this. I do not believe in re-inspiration, but I believe God preserved his word through those men. For the English-speaking people, through the King James Bible today. But there are a lot of people who want to attack our Bible. And I want you to understand, there are books out there that will tell you this is the wrong Bible. Stay away from them. There's no need to read them. A great many people say, you must hear both sides. Both sides. But if any man should write me a most slanderous letter about my wife, I don't think I would have to read it. I should tear it up and throw it to the winds. Have I to read all the infidel books that are written to hear both sides? Have I to take up a book that is to slander on my Lord and Master who has redeemed me with His blood? Ten thousand times no. I will not touch it. We are to believe by faith and not by sight. That's why we we don't believe in new revelation and we don't believe in sign gifts. Because 2 Corinthians says, for for we walk by faith, not by sight. The the sign gifts had a purpose. They were a sign for the Jews. They're not even for us. It's a sign for the Jews to draw them to Jesus. And there was a time for that. So we don't believe in that. It is not another gospel. It is also not only another gospel, but there are also troubling teachers we see in here, uh, which is not another. But there are some that trouble you. The Greek word for trouble is terasso. Terasso means to stir up or cause a riot. <clears throat> These guys were stirring people up. Paul reminds us that there are those who would pervert the God's gospel and thus trouble you, thus warning. Uh, this warning is given several times throughout Scripture. Uh, Paul would later write in 2 Timothy, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I met a young man who's in our youth group, and uh, I've been teaching in there, and he's been asking a lot of questions. And through visiting with him and talking with him, he's been asking. I've been teaching that salvation is, by, uh, is through grace. It's, it's by Christ and Christ alone. You need to trust in Jesus. I've given him all kinds of scripture. He's heard it. And he comes up and he asks me. And he's, he's asking me all these questions because he believes in Greek mythology. He believes the Greek gods are true gods. He shared that with me. He has turned Away from the truth and turned unto fables, because we know Greek mythology is nothing but fables. First John is another warning. John warns us in First John 2:18 and 19, "Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they had been of us, they, would, not, they would, uh, would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. There are a lot of antichrists in the world today. A lot of people that do not like Jesus. Jesus warned us. He said, man, they hate, they hate you? Well, they hated me before they ever hated you. They hate you because you love Jesus. We need to be aware. We're going to be confronted by people in this world, that people that are going to try to get us to turn on our faith. They're going to try to get us to turn away from Jesus Christ. But may I remind you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you are a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Do not tune out the Holy Spirit because he will expose them to you. You will know when somebody is trying to subtly pull you away. And trust me, the devil is subtle. Look what he did to Eve. Every tree of the garden was for them to eat. And he wants he say, what? Can thou eat of every tree of the garden? How subtle is that? Well, yeah, 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 every tree but that one. Because he said, if we eat of it, we'll die. Well, you won't surely die. And he got Eve to fall for it. He got Eve to lust after it. Uh, Maybe if she had the Holy Spirit, She wouldn't have went that way. Don't tune out the Holy Spirit. A park ranger at Yellowstone National Park was leading a group of hikers to a fire lookout. The ranger was so intent on telling the hikers about the flowers and animals that he considered the messages that were coming across his two-way radio distracting, so he switched it off. As the group neared the tower, the ranger was met by a nearly breathless lookout who asked why he hadn't responded to the messages on his radio. A grizzly bear had been seen stalking the group and the authorities were trying to warn them of the danger. Anytime we tune out the Holy Spirit or ignore the warnings of the Bible, we put ourselves and those around us in danger. And I want you to understand, it's not not just us we're putting in danger when we fall for it. Parents, if you start following another gospel, your kids are watching you. They're going to see you. They're going to wonder what you're doing and, and maybe follow you. So it's, it's not, uh, you know, parents, our kids look up to us. Older kids, teenagers, there are little kids in the church. I often tell my son, Trayton, you've got to be careful how you act in church. Because the little kid's running around there. And I said, and I know this because I remember you as a little kid looking up to our teenagers in our youth group. You followed those guys all around. You wanted to be with them because you thought you were so cool and you needed to be with the teenagers because you look up to them. And young kids look up to the older kids. Older kids need to be mindful that they're not uh, pulled away and start following another gospel. Because younger kids are watching. And they may fall for it. So the recommendation here is to stay away from those, these perverted gospels. But I want you to see there is a proven gospel. Look at verses 8 and 9. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. The meaning of the gospel. The word gospel means glad tidings or good news. And there are many circumstances, events, and blessings that bring good news or glad tidings. But there is only one gospel of grace unto salvation. We we receive good news and glad tidings all the time. When my niece got married, and when she told us she was uh, that that uh, her fiance had proposed to her, you know, or her boyfriend had proposed, and they got engaged, that was good news. That was good news. When my daughter called us to tell us that she was going to have a baby, that was good news. We were super excited, you know. And uh, uh, so there's a lot of things, but understand there is only one gospel of grace unto salvation. And this gospel is preached throughout Scripture. Acts 13, verse 38 and 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that though this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Galatians 2.16 adds, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. (coughs) Do you see now that Paul has made it very clear? Salvation, there's only one way of salvation. It's through Christ and Christ alone. It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it's accomplished at the cross of Calvary. No law needed uh, no, no, Nothing needs to be added to it. I'm thankful for a God who is powerful enough that he can take care of our salvation once and once for all. I love what D.L. Moody once said. He said, The thief had nails through both hands so that he could not work, and a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot toward his salvation, and yet Christ offered him the gift of God and he took it. Christ threw him a passport and took him to, into paradise. You know I, I had a friend of mine good friend of mine and he went to the he goes to the you know, he used to go to the International Church of Christ and he was trying to start a new church and my wife and I were very very young believers at that time. So uh, I mean we could have easily probably been swayed but thankfully we were listening and lis- uh, hearing what uh, Pastor Class had been teaching us, and we were at this time we were actually at Pastor Ronnie Roach's church, at Temple Baptist Church in Great Falls, and he was teaching us, and we were going through some things, and he was teaching us about uh, he was telling we, we got to talking to him, and he, he had kind of told us that they believe that baptism is a requirement for salvation, and I didn't know that at the time, and I was like, whoa, I I thought salvation we just trusted in Christ. Oh no, yes, you have to believe in Christ. But you have to be baptized too," he said. I said, "Well, I don't understand. Um, I don't. Where's that in Scripture?" And of course, he took me to a few things that they like to use. Um, but the only thing I could think of was, "What about the thief on the cross?" You know. And, and so I started asking him questions, and I I said, um, "What about the thief on the cross?" And and uh you know, I said, what about your dad who's, who you're trying to get saved and is laying um, basically on his deathbed. He can't, he's totally immobile, cannot move. He could talk, so he was trying to reach his dad and get his dad saved. But I'm like, so what are you going to do if you get him to trust Christ? Then you're, how are you going to get him baptized? Uh, you believe in baptism by immersion. You, he's not in any condition to go through that. And his wife finally got frustrated because we kept asking, what about this? What about this? And she said, we can't answer all the whatabouts. abouts. And I was a young Christian. And man, if I could hear that, qu- that said now, my immediate response would be, but my God can. Because Jesus paid it all. At the cross of Calvary, he said, it is finished. You don't need anything else. You just need Jesus. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Nowhere does it say anything about baptism in there. And so one thing that I've learned is if you're looking at a piece of scripture and you're believing it means one thing and you find something else that doesn't line up with what you believe about that scripture, go back and restudy that scripture. Because those people who believe in baptism as a requirement, cannot answer Romans ten nine, and they cannot answer the thief on the cross. Well, why isn't baptism in there? Why doesn't it tell us that? Why isn't baptism every time? So if baptism isn't in there every time, even though there are some passages that say you must be saved and baptized. Uh, I think I can't remember the exact reference, but it's in John, and it says you must be saved, or you must trust Christ and be baptized to be saved. And if uh, and if you deny Christ, you're de- you're, you're you're not saved. It's, I'm essentially I'm paraphrasing, okay? But notice how it doesn't say uh, if you're if you don't trust Christ and you don't get baptized, it's missing there. So if it's missing from the bottom for not being saved, then you don't have to include it in the top one. They're just saying the reference is you need to get saved first. Then you're baptized, which is the proper next step to becoming church, to becoming a part of the local church, to be, and, and you're saved. And, you know, you're saved, but you're not saved by baptism. You're saved by the trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the thief on the cross did. The thief on the cross professed with his mouth. Remember, the there's two two uh, men on those crosses, and the one looked at Jesus and said, "If you're really the Messiah, then deliver us all from this." From these crosses. Bring us all down from the cross. And it's the other thief. uh, The the other man. The other malefactor says. Lobo do you not realize who you're talking to? Do you not understand? That this man is innocent. He has done nothing wrong. And we are here of our own account. We are getting what we deserve. He's done nothing. And what's he say? Lord remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus' immediate response, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. They, they, you know, they, they didn't take the thief down from the cross and baptize him and then stick him back up there. So that he could go to heaven. But it's also, I want you to see, while there is a, uh, a true gospel, there is that perfect gospel, there is a misuse of the gospel. There is a misuse of the gospel. Verse 8 begins with, but Though. Okay, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you. Uh, there's a, this is a conditional statement. Paul makes it clear it doesn't matter who preaches another gospel as he includes angels in there. Even if an angel comes to you and tells you there's another way to heaven, that, that there's another gospel, uh, he will be accursed by God. He will be cursed by God. God will punish them, even angels. Notice that this important verse, verse 8, is reemphasized again in verse nine, almost, you know, basically verbatim. He, he states it just a little differently, but he's saying the same thing. He's saying the same exact thing. And what do we, what do we learn when we study the scriptures? What is one of the things they tell you when you're learning to study the Bible? If God repeats Himself, pay attention. Pay attention. It's like, it's like those days when you were in school and and the teacher was. Uh, preparing you for a test, and as he hit a portion of the uh, of, of the the book that you're studying, whether it's history or whatnot, and he starts stomping his foot on a certain section, he, that that foot stomp was to remind you that's going to be on the test. He was giving you a little hint. Know that section because it's on the test. Well, understand these two verses are repeated. Know know these two verses because it's on the test. Okay. We need to understand that if we teach any other gospel, you will be cursed by God. And there are people doing it. Paul had run into a similar situation in the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians eleven, thirteen, 13 and 14 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, there's that word marvel again, don't be surprised, he says, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. I like what one commentary states. They were only shams claiming to be ambassadors of Christ when in fact they were simply servants of Satan. Like Satan's masquerade as an angel of light, they were masquerading, changing the outward form as apostles and servants of righteousness. Be careful. You need, we need to be careful. What, but he's basically he's telling us, 2 Corinthians, be careful. There are wolves in sheep's clothing in your churches. They will sneak in. People will come visit. <coughs> There are people out there that want to pull you away. There are people out in the world that want to pull you away. Several factors suggest that these in, in the Corinthian church were Palestinian Jews, members of the Jew, Jerusalem church, who were false brothers. They were, they were members. They, they were making it in to, to the church of Jerusalem, but they were there falsely under false pretenses. Galatians 2.4 shows us that and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Jesus in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage they wanted to bring us back they, they, he's saying uh, Paul's saying here they want to bring us back into the bondage of of the law, and Jesus fulfilled that he didn't come to destroy the law he came to fulfill it right. he is perfect, and therefore because of his perfection he's able to go the cross he 's the only spotless lamb that could do that these false brothers were leading people back into the bondage of the law they wanted to put new wine the grace of Christ into old wineskins the law and we know that doesn't work new wine is it ferments needs something it's going to expand and old wineskins are old and dry and they will crack and break John uses this illustration, in uh, or Jesus actually used it um, in a parable, I believe. So it's one of those things. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. Acts 15 lends support to this idea. In Acts 15, verse 24, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Keep in mind that there are many false brothers that will take the truth of God's Word and misuse it for their own gain. We see this today in prosperity preachers. Prosperity preachers uh, are doing very similar thing. They misuse the Scriptures to get people to give until it hurts. And give us, give us all your money because God's going to give you back tenfold. And people fall for it, thinking they're, that's, uh, they're into that get-rich-quick scheme. Well, if I give it all to the church... God's going to bless me. And then when they come back to that pastor and say, I, I gave you everything. I'm, I'm broke. Now my house is, uh, is threatening to be taken away from me. And I, I can't pay my bills. And Well, I'm sorry, but you must be under sin. You need to take care of your sin. Then God will bless you. It's a twist of Scripture. And there's a way to cover up his sin because he's using the Scriptures and twisting them to take advantage of people. Let me tell you, when it comes to prosperity preaching, the only ones that prosper are the false preachers. Ultimately, this is a recommendation to avoid those who would choose to misuse the gospel. So this, this evening, we have looked at the first two reminders. The removal from the faith, and that we should not be so easily swayed into another gospel. The second is the recommendation. Uh, the recommendation concerning faith. It is recommended that you... Avoid perverted Gospels, as well as those who would misuse the proven Gospel. Now we can dive into our third and final reminder, which is the realization surrounding faith. Look at verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not uh, be the servant of Christ. The cause, uh, I want you to see in verse 10 here, the cause of true faith. God's favor. We see God's favor. The Greek word for persuade is pytho, which means to seek acceptance. Are we wanting to accept, uh, be accepted by God or man? Paul is saying we should be trying to win the favor of our Lord. Notice Paul uses the word now, perhaps referring to his own salvation. He says in there, uh, for do I now persuade God or men? He's, he's referring to uh, that his, uh, his salvation. Uh, prior to salvation, Paul's desire was to win man's favor. He shows us this in Galatians 1, 13 and 14. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. Before salvation, Paul wanted to be accepted of man. But now his main motivation is wholly to be accepted of God. Uh, On the road uh, to Damascus, everything changed for Paul. He went from pleasing men to pleasing God. What is your motivation? Who are you persuading? The cause of your faith should be God's favor. But another cause is the pleasure of God. The Greek word for please is oresko, which means to please or be pleasing to. Who are you wanting to please, God or man? Let me remind you, you were created to please God and God alone. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Are we not created beings? Then we were created for God's pleasure. When we consider what he has done for us, what Jesus did at the cross of Calvary, then our desire should be to please him. And lastly, I want you to see there's the commitment of true faith. In the latter part of verse 10 here, the commitment of true faith. For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul expresses that to be a servant of Christ, he must forsake being a servant of anyone else. (coughs) His commitment to Christ... Would come into question if he called himself a servant of man. The word "yet" indicates Paul's past when he was seeking to please men through hunting down and persecuting Christians. What Paul is saying is that he pledges his allegiance to Jesus and Jesus uh, to Jesus, not man. Why? Paul wants to reach others for Christ. He wants people to understand the truth about salvation, that it is through Christ and Christ alone. 2 Corinthians 12.19 says, Again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. He does these things to, <clears throat> to edify believers and to, bring, uh, and, and to bring the gospel to lost people. That's why he's doing it. Everything we do should be done for the edifying of, our, of others. That's why we come together at church. That's why we assemble together here as believers to edify one another. To, to lift one another up. Uh, to help each other when maybe some of us get down. We're there to edify each other. But we also help believers, uh, so that we help believers to grow in their faith. And we help the lost to come to the saving faith of Jesus Christ. And how do we do this? Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love. And this is key. We need to speak the truth, but it needs to be done in love. There are a lot of churches today that do one or the other a lot more. It needs to be balanced, okay? If we have so much love that we forsake truth or compromise truth, come as you are into our church. We love you. Leave as you were. God's not going to judge you. We're not going to judge you. Do you know what? Shall we continue in sin? Absolutely, because grace covers it all. Hyper grace churches. But then there's the other half of it, where truth, uh, the truth. Oh, what, you're a, come as you are? Nah, nah and, and not if you're a sinner. Oh, we only want righteous people coming into our church. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Uh, speaking the truth in love means we're going out and we're knocking on doors and we're inviting people to our church. And we're letting them know that there's somebody out there who loves them so much that he gave his life for them. Uh, we need to balance it. We need to say uh, when we rail on homosexuality that, yes, homosexuality is wrong, but yep, I've got fornicators in here too, and you guys need to get right too. You need to get married. Uh, We need to invite all people, come in as you are, but leave a new creature. That's being balanced. We are to tell others what the Bible says, not to show off our knowledge of the Bible, but rather out of love and concern for their spiritual condition. Solomon tells us faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's considered hate speech what we tell people about Scripture. I tell you, it's love speech. They just hate to hear it. They want to let people live, let them live their life the way they are. But unfortunately, when we let them live the way they are, we're we're okay with them dying and going to hell. And we can't be that way. If we really love the lost, then we want to tell them the truth. This is a reminder of being committed to true faith. Of being committed to true faith is how we will ultimately follow through with the first two reminders. Paul's reminder of commitment to God instead of man echoes the conclusion of Jesus' parable in Matthew. In Matthew 25 verse 21, uh, it says here, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. If we heed these reminders, we will then be more grounded in our faith so as to not be swayed by false teachers, perverted gospels, or those who misuse the proven gospel. We must not be spoon-fed Christians, but we must do as the Bereans do and study out the word of God. As a familiar hymn points out, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. These reminders are for you to keep your faith intact so you can have the victory and so that you will be able to overcome the world. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, again, I thank you so much uh, for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for these reminders, Father. Help us to take these reminders and apply them to our lives that we will not be swayed to another gospel. Help us to be reminded not to be spoon-fed Christians, but to dig into your word, to study, to show ourselves approved,